Hello there. Welcome to a Performance Origins Deep Dive episode on the SPS Pod. I'm super excited to have this wide-ranging conversation with one of the original solopreneurs. Before solopreneurship was even a word, Tori Dolly, my guest, has been running a very successful business for the last 18 years. Let's get into this wide-ranging conversation with the OG solopreneur. You're listening to the Self-Performance Strategies Podcast. This podcast is all about the elements of success and performance that business owners, solopreneurs, and business leaders need to implement if they want to exponentially improve their results. The SBS Pod is brought to you by the Pro Accelerator Program, specifically designed to help business owners and solopreneurs save at least 10 hours a week while making an extra 50 to 100K within 90 days. If that sounds like something you're interested in, check the show notes and follow the links for the Pro Accelerator. Now, let's get into this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are in the 53rd episode of the SPS podcast, the Sales Performance Strategies podcast. In this episode, we're doing a performance origins deep dive with another solopreneur creator, Tori Dolly. He is the owner of Sandpaper Studios. He's a brand strategist and a design studio built on the solopreneur business model. Essentially, he helps all our business owners and solopreneurs get clear and get going on their journey. Tori, absolute pleasure for you to join me today on the call. I know we spoke a few times in the Twitter DMs and on calls before, so it's a pleasure to have you officially on the podcast and talking about your success journey. How are you, sir? Right, brother. It's good to see you. I'm yeah. excited about it. Good, good. Yeah, well, we're going to roll straight into it. Uh, I'm just going to ask, ask the question I ask all my guests. The first question, what is your personal success philosophy, self-performance philosophy? What is it? Man, I like that question. Um, I don't know if I've ever codified it, you know, properly. Um, I think I go back constantly to energy, honestly. I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, as a professional creative, it's really difficult sometimes to predict exactly how that process is going to unfold. So, you know, we learn that there is sort of a process to professional creativity, but it's highly unpredictable. <laughs> and so you might think to yourself, hey, I've got a deadline today. I got to knock this thing out. Or I might need three days for this to incubate and finally land, you know, that kind of like driving or in the shower moment, you know, where the aha moment happens, right? And so for me, I have noticed that when I follow my energy and build my schedule and my calendar and my life around those energy points, that's when I do the best. And for me, I am really horrible at recognizing <laughs> things like burnout. So like I will run my battery down to zero before I look around and go, oh, hey, I, you know, this is a problem. And so I have learned to sort of understand how to gauge that. So instead of like running to extremes, try to temper that a little bit more and then build my actual, you know, like strategic calendar around that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and one of the great ways I use to illustrate this is, as, you know, most creators are night owls and growing up. And when I was younger, that's certainly the case. I mean, I'd be up till 2 AM. That's where my energy hit, you know, and fast forward to now, um, you know, I have three kids. <laughs> that's not happening. Right. <laughs> and so I had to learn how to shift to morning energy. So now it's 5 a.m. up, you know, starting on my daily gallon of coffee and we're ready to rock, you know, yeah. um, just because it was sort of a um, it was a switch I had to make. And it was also something that I was able to adapt because of my business. You know, I, I got my business figured out in the past. It was nine to five correspondence burying me. I could never get the work done. 
-hmm. And then five o'clock rolled around and I celebrated because my clients went home and would leave me alone. And now I would work until 2 a.m. And then I would get up the next day and do that same thing. Now, you know, after a few years of that nightmare, I got my business under control. And so I could map out to where it's like, no, I actually get up before them and get a lot of the things done, learn how to deal with them better, and then still structure my energy around the day. So that's, that's really been the closest that I can get to as far as like a success philosophy, um, I think that's probably about the core, man, is yeah. paying attention to energy and leveraging it. I, I think that's so key because that's one of my big things. One of the one of the big things I talk about on Twitter is energy management is always going to be more important than time management. In fact, I would argue that if you can get your energy right, right, certain pillars, certain activities you do each day, you don't need time management. You just yeah, yeah. go into your activities, keep your energy high, you know, eat the right things, go for walks, yeah. stay healthy, go to bed at the right time and, and don't overload your schedule with dumb shit. And, yep, and you're, exactly. you're, you're going to be successful every day. And, and that starts with energy management, but you know, productivity performance space seems to be all about shallow tactics and tricks and time management's one of the easy things, low hanging fruit. So I, I, yes. I love the fact that you started off this podcast, this conversation with one of my favorite pillars, which is energy <laughs> management. So right, I, I really right. enjoy that. So roll, rolling on from that, you know, you've been in business, I think 18 years, you've been a solopreneur. I started my business formally in 2006. So I suppose, um, let's see, we'll be, we'll be almost done with 17 years. So I suppose you'd say I'm in my 18th year, I guess. Is that year. the math? Yeah. Good, yeah, good, yeah. That's, good. that's a, a lot of experience. So the question I want to ask you now, you know, if we can go back five, 10, even 15 years back to the early 2000s, what was that journey? What was the the origins off your solopreneurship journey? What was the what was the big thing that 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 got you going back in the day? If, if you can remember that that uh, long ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. I know. Thanks. I'm old. I know. Yeah. At least we both have some some gray. I have um, a lot more than you do. <laughs> if I grew mine out, it would. Yeah. So I, I think um, I'll try to make this succinct. I mean, I. You know, my dad owned his own small business. I mean, I grew up nice. with very entrepreneurial minded humans and I watched the lifestyle, you know, and, and I was completely unfamiliar with a father who had a nine to five and a boss to answer to. So that was just a foreign concept to me anyway. So even at an early age, I always knew, hey, I want to start my own business. Um, I went to college and learned the art of design, the skill of design and uh, what we would call um, communication, you know, arts basically. And so... I took that, got jobs at agencies because I knew I had to build that skill up and I knew I had to get experience and build my network. And I just had a very pragmatic attitude towards that. So I spent my first couple of years working at a couple of different agencies. And the second one was immensely helpful because it was another very small company with a ridiculously talented designer uh, as the owner um, who also needed help kind of with some of the business side stuff too. So Mm -hmm. I was able to bring that a little bit to the table and help him out. And so we had a great working relationship. Um, But long story short, after a few years, I'm like, hey, I want to start my own business. Um, If I... I never regret anything, but if I was giving advice, I would not start it the way that I started it. (laughs) I literally had a month in savings, no good pipeline, and I was like, we're doing this. Um, So I had in mind that I was going to start a a traditional agency-style business. I mean, this is the age of like really cool brick walls and, you know, floor to ceiling, you know, glass separating studios and the cool espresso machine and all the creatives, you know, with the wood floors and all that stuff. And, you know, that was sexy. That was cool. I was like, I'm going to do that. And by then I had already been leading teams through some professional organizations and also at the design agency. And so I was like, hey, we're going to take this on the road. Um, The problem was I was always a solopreneur at heart. 
Mm. And you can't figure that out until you go and get after it and try to build something else and then suck at it and hate it and want to die. So like, that's, <laughs> that's a little dramatic, but yeah. um, two and a half years in, I mean, I went from a really healthy balance sheet to, Hey, I'm going to scale. So I started hiring in employees and within a couple of years, my balance sheet was not only upside down, I was deep in debt and I'm talking okay. like nightmare material. I'm not wow. paying myself. I'm paying the guys that are working for me, trying to make men's meet. Um, just sucked at it, frankly, because I didn't want to do it. And I didn't know at the time that that's not something I wanted to do. Mm. And I was surrounded by a lot of people who were doing that and were good at that and wanted to do that. And so kind of hit a rock bottom moment where it was like, this can't happen. I can't, this doesn't work. Um, I have to figure something else out. And I ultimately ended up considering, re remember, this is about 2006. And so the iPhone wasn't even really a thing. Yeah. And to put context on this, solopreneur was not a word. No, that's not that did not happen. If you wanted to be a designer and work for yourself, you either were a freelancer or you started an agency and you built yeah. it up. That was it. And so I had to figure out what model that I want to build. And I ended up calling it the hub model. I built it off of my dad's contractor model. So he built homes. He builds 90 percent of them. He He's a unique crowd. He calls himself a carpenter. I mean, he wants to build three to four homes for people a year yeah. and that's it. And he loves it. And I decided, well, if he ever got into a bind, he hired out drywall or plumbing or electrical yeah. or roofing. He could hire out any of those things and get the house done faster. And I realized, why don't I do that? Mm -hmm. I had already occasionally brought in other designers and writers and photographers and other people into my team to help with overflows. They always worked out really well. Why yeah. didn't I just do that? And so I ended up designing my business around that. And from day one, I always saw solopreneurship as like, well, I own my company, I own the business. And I was working by then with some very big names. I mean, some kind of household name clients by then. And it was just little old me, which was another reason why I thought I had to build the agency because eventually they were going to go, hey, we need a big agency. And what I learned is they don't care at all. They want maximum value and they want somebody who cares about them. Well, it turns out that most agencies don't care about their clients very much and they don't provide a very good value. <laughs> so I found a great niche there. And then I could bring in specialists instead of making all of my clients fit my employee base, you know, and their talents and abilities. I said, why don't I just go hand select the team that's perfect for the client's needs? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And so between then and now, I've built teams of 20 people at times to work on massive projects. And then other times I can track back to doing the work all myself and everything in between. And I realized that that's really the true solopreneur model is the ability to bring in and collaborate with other solopreneurs and freelancers to create powerful, customized teams to solve giant challenges. And that's really been the story of my company since. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic listening to that. You know, going in and hiring people, having people in your team, realizing that you don't want to be a manager or a leader or a coach or, or you know, well, you kind of are a coach in a sense, but you know, it, it, it that there's a different kind of when you're actually managing people, uh, within an organization, you're thinking quarterly reviews, yeah, you know, holiday, vacation, yeah, everything exactly. else. You've got all, there's a whole list of things you've got to think about, you know, health insurance, all this extra complexity. But when you're a solopreneur, you can just hire people, pay them a flat fee, and that's it. Yep. And um, every one of them has skin in the game in a way yeah. that the employees never did. That was the thing I noticed the most. And I don't want to dive too much into that because we don't have an hour to talk about that. But <laughs> at the end of the day, the people who have the skin in the game and they're staying up at night perfecting their craft, they're reading books, they're studying blogs, they're sketching, you know, they're just getting excellent at what they do because they want to get work. Yeah. And I could pick those people at any given time and scale and they always work well together. There was no interpersonal drama. I didn't pay them unless they did the work. 
And yeah. you know, it just I could go down the list of all the benefits, and I can't think of a better model. I really can't. I there's there's one or two downsides depending on what you want to do, but as long as you don't build your agency around those objectives, I can't find any downsides to this model. It has been nothing short of an absolute godsend to the way I do, I've done business over the years. Yeah, it, 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 I, I've tapped into that world a little bit. Obviously, I've hired copywriters, I've hired VAs, I've you know, I've, I've not done massive projects and brought people in uh, like you say but i've it's it's a very interesting model when you just think about well i have this problem i have money well i can go and solve this problem by hiring this person and and it's the, i think there's a quote by dan sullivan uh, who's a strategic uh, uh, coach he runs a company called strategic coach and one of his quotes is if money could solve a problem you don't have a problem and i think <laughs> Uh, and I, that, that always stuck with me. So I've, I've had, uh, I've hired people in for my own business and it's like, well, I, I've got this cash flow coming in. I've got this problem. I'm not very good at the skill set. Okay. Who in my network knows somebody who, who does this? And exactly yeah, I mean, right, man. it doesn't work out a hundred percent all the time, but it moves you forward. You get suffering. You, 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 right. you, you, you don't get stuck trying to do something that you're not inherently good at and getting frustrated right. and you procrastinate and then you, leave it for months and you don't end up getting something done when you're going to, you know, yeah. hire you get tangled in that mess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and for me, <clears throat> even direct labor, like, so, uh, you know, I'm a designer and brand strategist really, you know, but I also do photography, video animation. I mean, like I, I, I kind of built myself around being the ultimate, like I am, I am an agency of one in my own right, but then there's a certain cap to that before I need to bring in somebody who's like really good, you know? And so one of the things that I love about that is a, I'm not, paying them and they're not working, but I'm also, it's like, it's like you're able to immediately expand or contract. And if something goes wrong, it's simple. You just say like, this isn't working out and you cut off yeah. whatever you need to cut off with that person. And you find another person quickly. You have no mess, no entanglement of, you know, severance pay and all the stuff like you mentioned before, like you just completely eradicate all of that. And it's understood from the beginning. Uh, there's just a totally different mindset to it. And that's the thing that always really attracted to me. And then, you know, I should probably mention too, that one of my skill sets is being able to deal with large organizations. I'm, I'm very good and comfortable sitting down across the table from a CEO, a COO, who's a literal billionaire running a publicly traded company and having a rational discussion. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something, one of the things that I learned pretty early was that was a huge asset for me because yeah. even their own employees and SVPs don't do that. They sit across the table and basically kiss their asses and tell them what they want to hear. Mm. And they grovel at their feet and they, you know, th their whole livelihood depends on that person not being upset with them, right? Where I can come in and just tell them exactly what the truth is and what needs to be done and no BS about it. Can we get that done? And one of the, you reminded me of one of my favorite quotes that I used to use with my clients all the time. And this was, if you sign the checks, the problem goes away. That's all yeah. you need to do. I, I turned every single complex campaign into a simple solution for them. You put your signature line on that check and that problem goes away. And it doesn't take long to, for approving that before they start going, all right, I just need to car carve out a budget and define the problem clearly. And he makes it go away. That's pretty handy. And by the way, I do that without any of the agency overheads. So every hundred grand you spend with me is like spending 250 with that agency. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a selling proposition. It is. It is. And it's obviously worked quite well for you. Been happy with that. Over, over a couple million years. in. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you, you touched on something I want to go back to because I, I want to, I was going to ask what your biggest success was, but I, my, my mind decided to change direction slightly. And I, I, I want to go back to 
that that moment when you're paying your employees mm-hmm. money that your own money yeah. so they can actually get paid and, and you're suffering and, and i would i'm gonna say that was that your biggest sort of quote-unquote air quoting failure uh in in I, your solopreneur journey or in your business journey so that's where i want to go to i want to go well, is, is that is that is that the dark was that the darkest moment was that yeah, the yeah. was that the the, the 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 light switch went off and okay i need to change here this isn't working yeah, or definitely man oh yeah oh yeah that was that was the the dark pit of despair right there yeah um in fact i i also uh, simultaneously i had some other things i was going through a divorce at the time long story short and it was like a convergence of all kind of you know crap in your life breaking loose and having yeah. to redefine certain things and you know doors closing but doors opening things you know and never knowing exactly what was going to be what um but knowing knowing very clearly what was not working was the feeling and i remember where my studio my studio was in downtown indy indianapolis really awesome old uh car manufacturing company actually plant that was converted nice. into uh artist co-residency spaces and i had a studio down there and the way you cross the street to get the parking lot was like you had to go across like diagonally across kind of the intersection and dude i remember getting to a point where i literally one day was so overwhelmed physically with like anxiety that i literally stopped in the middle of that street in that intersection and paused for probably four or five seconds while i sort of ingested this what i should probably describe as like a spiritual feeling mm-hmm. of this this is stopping now like that's that was my articulation and i have yeah. to think that like if i was the suicidal type it would probably be the like okay i'm jumping <laughs> off the bridge you know like there must be that moment so whatever that is yeah. that rock bottom moment uh you know thankfully that's not in me so i i was just thinking to myself this has to stop it doesn't yeah. matter what it takes i i i have to completely upend and redefine everything about my life if that's what it takes and i kind of did frankly um and so with that said in business um yeah by then i had gone almost a year of paying myself scraps watching every penny coming in and every penny going out pushing every bill to the nth degree that i could with anybody that didn't have a you know hard due date i never once missed a paycheck for the guys on my payroll Mm -hmm. and i wasn't about to and that was the most difficult thing I can ever imagine going through. And I mean, in retrospect, you know, you have, you see everything clearly and that's, you know, the benefit of the hindsight of 2020. Yeah. Right? Um, I should have noticed three months into my first hire that this was not my, this formula doesn't work. No, 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 no. Back out. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't, you keep digging that old deeper. Cause you think, no, 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 in a matter of time, I'll get that figured out. I'll land that client. Yeah, you know, whatever. Cost. Absolutely, man. And it's yeah. got you just around the leash is on you hardcore. Yeah. Cause you're like, no, 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 I can do this. And, um, and I, you know, this is where also resilience is not a benefit to you. This is one thing I talk to about a lot with solopreneurs is we're a very resilient bunch and that can screw you. Yes. You have to be careful of that. And so, it, you know, almost screwed me. So um, I was able to claw out of it, but it was, it was, it was rough, man. It was, it was definitely rough, but it was truly the switch flipping to the new model that allowed me to create a new foundation for myself and build from there. It's a- yeah, I really like hearing that. I like hearing that journey, that story, that moment. I, I definitely have one or two of those moments in my, in, in my life. You know, where you, you just sort of walk out of a uh, a building and you just have a moment where like, I think I'm done with this. The, yeah. the, that sort of like 
thing pa everything pauses. It's almost like a, in a movie, you know, where the person stands still and everything else around them moves really quickly. Exactly. One of, the, one of those scenes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where, you, where you're just so focused in the moment and people are going are going around you and you're like, yeah, I, I need to I need to change that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I ended up in Vancouver, Canada, because I it was in the northeast of England and I was just like I. I made a bad decision went to a different career and it didn't work out and ended up uh 2008 9 during the pandemic no, not the pandemic the the financial crisis got yep. like yep. um and I, I had an opportunity to move out to canada but before i decided to move out to canada i had one of those moments where mm -hmm. i was going into this workplace that I, I despised i really disliked the whole environment i felt really low on myself i i, I didn't know you know again you go back to like if i was a different type of person what would that have led to yeah. Um, I already was dealing with a little bit of alcohol and substance partying uh, as a way to treat that. And I just decided I, I need to, not only do I need to leave this job, I need to rem remove myself from the environment uh, off the sort of the, the weekly, your know, UK weekly drinking cycle. And that's one of the, one of the pillars or one of the, one of the key reasons why I moved out to Vancouver was to remove myself from that environment because I had that moment where I was like, this needs to end. Yeah. Because uh, I was in my late twenty, so I, I resonate with that quite a lot, uh, and it's really, really good to hear that you you took those lessons and and obviously went on to be very successful. So now I'm going to flip the question, <laughs> and I'm going to ask, you know, what what was your biggest success? What what was that? What's the moment? It might it might be the birth of all three of your children. I I don't know what, right, what, yeah, what you're going to yeah. pick here, but what what was the moment where you really felt like you, you that you hit the ball and it just went out of park? And, you know, bases were loaded, grand slam, big success. Oh man, they just felt hmm. like you know. There's just so many, Stephen. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so I humble. <laughs> I I know everybody says humility is such a strength of mine. I, I mean, I'm so good at it. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, yes, it'd be easy for me to say things like my kids, my wife, yeah. uh, we had to work hard for our relationship. I mean, it was not an easy mm -hmm. start. There's some circumstances that made it extraordinarily difficult. And honestly, that would probably be my answer without getting into all the details about that. She's my absolute 100% counterpart in every single way. And I attribute my design and business and success as a man to her. I truly, I 100% do. I cannot envision getting to where I am without her as a partner. So I have to, I have to say her on the surface, at least um, in terms of business. Um, you know, I, I think I, I could probably pinpoint it back. This might sound like a cop out, but it's truly not uh, figuring out the model, figuring that model out and having the balls to do that at the time, because I had, again, and I'm, and I'm not naming them. These are household global freaking publicly traded companies that everybody knows I was getting pressure from them, you know, and I had to kind of stand my ground and say, like, you know, where this, like they, the reason I was getting pressure was not the marketing directors who were my direct client contacts. It was their bosses going, Hey, what is the, the optic of, you know, this, you know, person being instead of an agency, you know, why don't we have the hot agency, you know, like they thought yeah. that was an extension of their brand. And I had to work really hard to make sure that I was living up to something there and giving them the value and the results. And, you know, that took a lot of hard work for me as a, as a, as a, you know, yes, there's the design deliverables and all the stuff that we make that you see at the end of the day, but it was really all the strategic input and the brand strategy work that I had done. I mean, we're talking thousands of pages, man, of, of just complete alignment from where their company was to where it needed to be. And that's not easy, especially with yeah. the massive companies like them, or in some cases, like even, you know, the gigantic departments, you know, some of them. So 
that I'm really proud of being able to do that as one person um, at a time when that was not at all typical, that people did not understand what that was. Um, so let's let's say that. I like that as an answer. Interesting. I, I like that because I mean, I think, you know, we've had conversations before and, and I think that, you know, I read a lot of your tweets uh, and I think that you were almost molded the solopreneur model before it was named. Uh, I, and it was, it's, it's something that you're, you're, uh, what would I say? Of it? You, you carry the flag of solopreneurship now that it's been named. It's got the cool, it's got the cool, <laughs> it's got the cool name. It's uh -huh. got the, it's got the, it's got the, the, the name you're going to see on LinkedIn and Twitter. People use it. And there are a, a bunch of large creators out there that, that, that do use it quite a lot. I put my hand up. It's, it's, it's a term I have used mm -hmm. over the last two mm -hmm. years now regularly because it's, it's, it's cool because it's what I do. I'm a solopreneur. I don't, I don't yeah. have any employees. So, that's that's what I do, but it's really interesting to hear how you didn't have a buzzword for it. Because if if I went to a CEO now, someone who's on LinkedIn, someone who's around the environment of what we all do, they would probably have heard of this solopreneur yeah. name. They would understand that concept. So yeah. to go against the norm or to have this sort of like you know pay the new a, a new path for yourself, it's very it's very interesting. It's very, I think it's kudos for you to do that. I appreciate that, man. So because it, it was it was difficult without any context, and now I think we have the opposite problem, which is people carrying that flag without knowing what it means. And that's that's what I have really started to kind of shift my focus towards, because in a lot of ways I, I do kind of joke about being like you know solopreneur OG, you know, like been around <laughs> since since day one. But but the thing is, this is what everybody was pre-industrial revolution. Everybody was basically a solopreneur. Like this is not yeah. a new concept at all. And so my my kind of call to action and my challenge to everybody who wants to be a solopreneur or thinks about being a solopreneur is to really study and understand deeply what that word actually means, because there's so many misconceptions about what that does. And the thing that is so important to me, I've got to land this plane, Stephen, because it ties back to why I failed before the model I was trying to build yeah. and why solopreneurship is important. People will go into, well, what does it matter? Who cares? Don't worry about your labels, right? Like if you're one person, if you have 10 people, if your wife's part of the solopreneur, now you're not. If you hire somebody part-time or full-time, are you still a solopreneur? What? Don't worry about it and just do what you want to do. That is a gigantic mistake because when you're trying to learn how to build a business model that can actually sustain a lifestyle that you want, you better know exactly what that lifestyle is that you actually want. Yes. And if you can then identify, hey, I want this lifestyle. And if you want what the solopreneurs have, which is basically, in my opinion, the truest form of freedom that you can find yes. in the professional world, because employees are a form of lacking freedom. You have to deal yes. with them. There's very, very, very few people who end up through the traditional business scaling model completely separated from the operation. And if you, anybody who get, gives an earnest deep dive into that will find out that the vast majority of CEOs, founders, and owners never fully completely exit like that. It's 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 rare and you have to be freaking good at it and want that from the beginning. And most don't want that from the beginning. They yeah. do still want to operate. And so that puts you in a totally different world. You can't just step away from that and expect it to succeed. In solopreneurship, you don't have any of those strings attached. We have a whole litany of challenges we have to deal with in, in response to that, but we still don't have those strings attached. So with that said, it's important to know what this word means because we educate other people on how they can build their business model to work right. So if we don't have our vocabulary correct, we're leading people astray. Yes. And that's going to cause them the pain that I had to suffer in 2009 and 10, 2010 at my rock bottom when I thought I was building one type of business and I needed to really be building a different kind. You yeah. know, again, that can lead people to things like suicide. I'm not about to watch that happen just because somebody wants to throw that word around and say, I'm this 
on you know social media without truly understanding what that word really means mm. and so it, it's i do get a little um you can even hear it in my voice like i get a little <laughs> worked up about it because yeah. i i think i think it's really important for us to understand when we start a business we better freaking understand what that business model is i don't want people suffering through the pain of failure in business it's it i i say it is um the, the way that I kind of word it is, it's like you have these other horrible D words like debt, death and divorce, right? Yeah. And like default in your business or failure in your business is like worse than anything not named debt, you know, divorce or death. Yeah. It sucks that bad. And I don't want yeah. people to go through that. I want them to understand what opportunities they have to thrive. And mm -hmm. so it is important that we get that nomenclature correct and pinpoint what that model is. And of course, there's variations. I know people who make seven figures literally working alone outside of like a CPA. They might have a CPA. They might have a VA for some things. Everything else they do themselves. Yeah. And I know solopreneurs like me who on occasion have teams as many as 20 people working on a $212,000 project. Yeah. They're still a solopreneur. And so, you know, there's no other business entity. The, the IRS looks at me as the business entity, period. Every other yeah. one of those people is a 99 employee. So you, people need to understand what those differences are and what that really means. Yeah. And where those boundaries, you know, begin and end. So uh, I'm working on that. <laughs> Long way of saying I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is very interesting because I think there's a lot of people out there that say they're a solopreneur. But yet I know that they've got employees or they have a, yeah, regular employees or, 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 or a partner. Do you know what I mean? Are there, oh, are there, okay, sure, sure. Do you know what I mean? So I, I've yep. seen that before. Yep. Like, like yep. I'm a solopreneur, but yeah, I know that they all half their business is somebody. You know, they're in a business with somebody yeah. else. Well, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not really solopreneurship. Uh, right, right. Their I mean, challenges it's... are going to be different. Their opportunities yeah. are going to be different. The way they talk about and communicate their business is going to be different. Like, yeah. and 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 yes, at the end of the day, all these labels are in some ways silly. You know, I wish yeah, we could just talk sense. about like what's a business structure. Oh, you yeah. are this. Okay, well then that means you should probably do these things. But in a world of making it nice and easy where you don't have to talk for half an hour to describe what your business model is, it sure helps if you have a word that basically puts you in the arena. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what it is. It is a, it is a buzzword that, that allows yeah. people just to be like, yeah, I'm a solopreneur. Uh, it just means that I'm a small business owner, basically, but it sounds more sexy. Yeah, that's just going to say. It's, it, the problem is it's sexy right now. So, yeah. you know, give it six months and nobody will talk about it. Uh, yeah, it generally it, works. It'll last six months and it's out of favor. Yeah, it's, it's like one of the reasons why I don't use the term entrepreneur in any of my, very rarely do I use it. I use it the odd time. Because for me now, when someone tells me they're an entrepreneur, I'm like, oh, so you're unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fancy word for unemployed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's probably true, man. Yeah. I mean, part of my solopreneur definitions burns from my, the way I define entrepreneurship even. I think that's something, that's really what drove me to this because I don't think that's defined correctly either. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, a true entrepreneur, their craft, what they wake up to do every day is to build businesses and sell them. That's what a true entrepreneur does in my opinion, mm -hmm. is, is they're a person who builds businesses with their sole purpose to sell them. And so when you look at, you know, Dave, the you know donut shop owner, or in the Emeth case, right? Like Sarah that owns the the pie shop or whatever. Yeah. If she doesn't have, she doesn't want to ever sell her business, but she wants to get detached from the operations of her business so she can lead that business. Right. Those are very different things. Yeah. Now, is that a sellable business? Probably at the end of the day, but it doesn't have to be. And so, there's all these muddy definitions, and it goes back to what people want and what they want to do and what they want out of it. Yeah. And that's the thing, again, when it comes back to solopreneurship is 
I've said before, it's your it's your fastest route to freedom. You don't have a Agreed. boss and you don't have employees, but you can make excellent money and work with other people who are just as committed and dedicated to their craft as you are, as you build teams and solve more complex problems. And I yeah. think that's the key that I need to communicate to people is, is, is solopreneurship is really about the opportunity to collaborate with people with the lowest possible friction to solve the biggest problems without having to bring them on board. You know, there's something in that vein that I think needs yeah, to be Yeah, I really like that because I heard a definition of someone describing entrepreneurship as just a, no, it was capitalism is an ever expanding circle of strangers working with each other. Oh yeah, there you go. And I heard that as a definition of, of, of capitalism. But then I think the, the, other def, the other definition that popped into my head was entrepreneurship was entrepreneurs take something from a lower value and then make it a higher value. There so you go. They're, they're basically transferring something that's got a low value to it and a higher value. And the easiest example of that could be is like someone going in and buying 20 watermelons and then they go and have a stall and they sell fruit juices. So they're yeah. taking like a, yeah. a lower product, changing it to a different product and then selling it and the profit range that they have in there. So they're yeah. taking something from a lower capability to a higher capability. And that's the definition of an entrepreneur when you think yeah. about doing it with a business. I so actually I, like I, that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. something about that, right? Because it's that indication that you're bringing value to the table. Exactly, exactly. You're just not sell, you're not buying the watermelons and then selling the watermelons right. and maybe putting a, a upcrease on them because you got a deal on them. You're actually taking a yes. something, changing the value of it, and then selling it for a, a you know a profit or a, right, right, whatever that you may just, be. But you yeah. just triggered all those watermelon purists out there. I did. I, I Why would you ruin them and turn them into a juice? Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't even like watermelons, so yeah, me either, actually. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. <laughs> so I will it. turn it into a juice. <laughs> We're dead to them now. <laughs> we are. We are. I've lost. Uh, I've lost all the millions of watermelon right, <laughs> listeners exactly. of There's the SBS podcast. Uh, big watermelon's <laughs> going to come after me. Uh, so. With that said, I mean, I, great conversation there around solopreneurship. I know it's something you're very passionate about, and, and I know it's something that you're you're currently, you know, helping other solopreneurs get started, get clarity. So with that, I want to ask the question: You know, if I could give you a realistic but magic wand, where where is Tori going to be in six months, twelve months, a year? Where where, where is the Sandpaper Studio? Where where is this solopreneur journey of helping other solopreneurs? scale where is that going where would you like to be so in regards to sandpaper studio um i have been deliberately winding that down mm -hmm. it has been a difficult process because my average uh client lifespan when i last counted a couple months ago was 11.3 years oh, wow <laughs> and so that's in an industry that averages right around 16 months by the way wow so that tells you that's about good. the relationship that i've had with those clients um yeah. So it's really hard to be like, oh, hey, I've like literally gone to your children's, you know, birthday parties and now I'm not yeah. going to help you anymore. Right. Um, so that's taken a while and that's OK. Um, but at the end of the day, I will I will ultimately phase that down quite a bit more okay. um, in terms of what I'm trying to do on the other side, which is helping solopreneurs understand how to build their own businesses. OK. And that involves a lot of um, business tactics and clarity, but really where I'm starting to kind of sharpen the spear here a little bit more is on branding, because that's really where my expertise lies, is, okay. is brand strategy is really the hub that everything else is connected to. And I'm feeling a real strong calling to getting back to that message that literally, uh, you know, these clients paid me a lot of money to talk about. I'm like, well, I can bring that all to people for free, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and I need to help them understand how that works for solopreneurs. And I'm uniquely positioned to, to communicate that. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, six months, 12 months, two years, whatever it is, um, uh, being in a position where, you know, we're fully 100% funded with the, you know, targets that I want, both on the income side for me, for sure, because that to me is just a reflection of the value I'm creating, yeah. um, but also the type of community and tribe that I'm building around me and the, the amount of, yeah, I, I, I would love to be the, the flag bearer of solopreneurship and the one that really is the champion cheerleader for it, because I'm uniquely equipped for that just spiritually and mentally. Yeah. You know, I want to be the one, it's kind of like the Lorax speaking for the trees, right? Like I want to yeah. be the guy who speaks for solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. And inside the solopreneur community, maybe we have like, you know, debates and whatever, but if anybody from the outside tries to throw shade at the solopreneurs, I'm going to be the first <laughs> to turn around, right? Like that's because yeah. I feel, I really do feel that way. I feel and, and we can't get into this now, but there are attacks on solopreneurship all over the world. And in, in Canada right now, uh, in the U.S., it's actually getting worse as well if, if some of these things pass. We have to pay attention to that. And so the corporations who are bleeding talent to the solopreneur yeah. pool are not happy about that. And they're not keen on watching it go. And for the longest time in the U.S., they had things like you know health insurance to kind of hold people back to the corporate job. Like in the U.S., there's the old trope. If you ask somebody why they're still working, they'll almost always tell you it's the health insurance. Yeah. You know, So that's a de facto corporate handout to keep people in those seats so yeah. that the talent doesn't go out and compete with them. Um, different conversation. But the point is, we better get on the same page real quick. And I want to be the person in the next 12 months, let's say, that that is the face of that, getting on mm -hmm. the same page for solopreneurs. Great. That's really is good. that too bold? No, I like it. No, it's big. It's bold. It's, it's, uh, it's I, mean, feel. I, I think you touched on a very, again, we get opened up the door for that and, and dive down it for hours. I don't know if we have time in this podcast, but that, that idea of the, of the large corporations shutting down what is actually good for people in, 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 in life. I mean, I, I, I've rolled my eyes many a times of the studies coming out being like, well, being in the office is actually better for you. Oh, uh, I, I, you know, since post-pandemic, trying to get people to come back into the office because they've got hundreds, millions, billions of dollars of of, of real estate that's not being anywhere. Oh, it's a used. disaster. It's all uh, collapsing. Uh, yeah, and and it, and they're like, yeah, no, you should come back in because it's good for your mental health. And of I'm course, like, I've never had no, I've never, no. never, never once have I ever. I've not worked in an office for no. over two years, and not once have been like, you know, what would really help my mental health today? Going into an office yeah. with yeah. like furniture from the 90s with like <laughs> the cubicles, cubicles the arguments yeah. the two hours of productivity tops yeah. yeah it's 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 a real like slap in the face to be like you know what you don't need is to have a cup of tea with your wife you know what you don't yeah. need to watch your kid take their first step you know what you don't yeah. need i mean yeah. like the, these kind of things that's what they're telling you and it, I, exactly I yeah well you know I'm, i after this podcast i'm gonna take my beautiful greyhound for a walk and i wouldn't be able to do that during the day because i've been in an office and he'd yeah. be trapped at home on his own Yep. Uh, but I know I get I know I get to take him out for a nice walk in a forest, and I'll yeah. be doing that this Beautiful. afternoon. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and those are the things that solopreneurship uh, or small business ownership, whatever you want to call it, uh, has afforded me. And and I do it does annoy me when I see that th those kinds of what we call it rhetoric maybe coming out from government almost. Oh, it's better for you to be in an office. It's it's just that and the other, you know. I, and I know in, in America, they definitely make it harder for people to get uh, health insurance. In Canada, yeah, it's nuts. Canada, yeah, it's that's a bit, true. You guys, yeah, it's a bit yeah, easier here. And also, if, if I wanted to, luckily, my wife is fully employed and I have the the old, there you go. The old uh, family card. So that, that, that's one go. thing off my mind for solopreneurship. Lucky you. Lucky me. <laughs> but, but I did look into it. 
And there is things yeah. you can buy into up here in Canada where you just buy yeah. into plants. I mean, they're not that. Yeah. They're not that. It's yeah. ridiculous. The U.S. has some of that too. Just PSA. People need to look into those things. There are co-ops yeah. and bureaus and things that are making 100%. that easier here in the U.S. Um, it's still not out of the woods. But uh, but yeah, the bigger, broader picture of this is um, you're absolutely right. It's propaganda. And, yeah. and it, it's the message that the corporations want the value all within their walls. And they're going to flex all the power and money that they have in order to make that happen. And the individuals, once again, unless they are all on the same page, will just end up fighting each other and playing into that. So we need to make sure on the professional side that we are getting, again, all of our ducks in a row so we can accurately represent ourselves. Uh, because I'm telling you, it's in a couple of years, we're going to be having a very difficult discussion when these people start spreading across the globe. Um, I know friends in other countries who, I mean, they physically, you know, Germany, Australia come to mind, you know, where they yeah. have to get quite a bit Oh, they, bottom line, it's not easy to be a solopreneur because the games are so rigged there. And again, it's good for the people. It's good for the people, but it's terrible for the corporations. And yeah. once we see what that game is, we start to look around each other and go, you know, maybe we shouldn't be sitting around bickering and moaning about the exact definition. <laughs> and maybe we should be on the same page about what this lifestyle actually means and yeah. what we need to do to preserve that. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. I mean, I would be... I don't know, I'd be very frustrated if I wasn't able to do what I was able to what I'm able to do right now. And the, I that personally feel like the bar for entry for what I do, which is coaching, you know, it's, it was low for me. Now, it's low for me to get started, but I have a 15 year plus skill set that I'm able to exactly. transfer across. Yeah, so, yes, yeah. it's easy for you to get started, but it's not like you can just like I'm going to be a coach today. No. It, it doesn't quite work like that. Not so I, I, I have that previous experience. And obviously, I've learned a lot over the last two years. and I've made some stupid mistakes, uh, especially the first or seven months, first six or seven months of, uh, of my solopreneurship journey. We're, we're not the smoothest. <laughs> I, I will definitely uh, tell you that. Uh, yep. But yeah, I've had no challenge from government entities coming in and being like, well, we need more tax from you. We need this from you. We need that from you. We need to have this sign. It's been very easy to get going. And, and what, what, you know, you touched on one of my fears is one of the reasons why I left corporate is I didn't like people being in my business. Yeah. But yeah, sure. being a solopreneur, it's like, I don't, I'm almost like a liberal libertarian. I don't know where that, 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 that definition comes from. <laughs> yeah, I'm somewhere I, in there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to I be left alone, but I also care about society. So it's it, it, it's kind yeah. of been there. But allow me to do what I'll do, and I'll do what I'll do, and I will pay whatever taxes you want me to pay, uh, but stay away from me. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, yeah, it's 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 a, it's difficult, and there's different degrees to it, for sure, brother. And, and it's... Um, Again, it's just something that, um, you know, we need to remember that in the U.S., at least nine, 9% of people own a business, you yeah. know, so you're up against a lot of people who don't yeah. and they don't understand. And so, you know, again, it's all the more reason why we need to be on the same page. Look at that. I love it. <laughs> What's up, Pops? Yeah, my dog just popped on screen. He I love to, it. He, he says, hey, time's up, Pops. Yeah, he's like, take me for a walk. Talking about government now. It's time to roll. Yeah, he's just like, I'm bored. I, next subject. <laughs> yeah. Next subject. Yeah. 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 Well, he wanted his bones, so he's popped in to say hi. So anybody who's just listening to the audio of this, my dog just popped on camera, so we just give him the give him the bone. But that that leads on very nicely to my next question because we were talking about where you wanted to go in the next sort of six months, eighteen months, two years. We kind of had a little side conversation, but I want to come back to where you are today. I want to ask you: you've got these future goals, you've got this plan, especially around solopreneurship. What do you think currently could be slowing you down, standing in your way, or stopping you from getting to your getting to your next success, or already getting to the success that you want with this new 
direction that you're going. You're, you're moving away from your sandpaper studios. You're going to the solopreneurship journey. So what, what's 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 the barriers that are slowing you down currently? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you two things, man. I think that one of them is you have to redefine yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to look and stop. You have to realize that like, hey, the person that I am at this moment cannot be the person that I am in six months or, or a year if I want to achieve those things. And that's hard. If yeah. you're being honest with yourself, that's freaking hard. You need to set limits that are higher than the limits you've already hit and in different ways. And maybe you need to chill out about other things that you were obsessing over. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of change that has to happen. So I, I, I'm constantly trying to challenge myself to not take things for granted and not, uh, or, 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 um, not examining everything, like, like to just pass it off as a big deal. And I have really critical people in my life who help me do that because kind of like we talked about before the show, right? Like you can always do something I can't do, which is get outside of my head. Period. At the very least, you could know nothing else, but you have that over me, right? Yeah. And I have that over you and everybody else. And so we have to learn how to leverage that because Mm -hmm. the clarity, you know, this as a coach, I mean, it's priceless when you have somebody who can do that and point you towards the one thing that has to be done next. It's huge. And so that's been critical is to make sure that I'm not taking things for granted, making false assumptions and, and being you know malleable. And then on a more tactical level, you know, this is something actually just in the last few weeks I've been tailoring to. And I have been using this analogy like tip of the spear, but it's really a base of a pyramid. I mean, if you want to think about a pyramid, yeah. the, if, if, if you're looking at a sort of success pyramid from the very, very bottom, I consider, you know, other than like being alive, <laughs> the next like the base, <laughs> the real base of the pyramid is your skill. Yeah. You have got to have some sort of value. We just talked about this, you know, earlier. You got to trans. You got to somehow create value with yeah. your time and your efforts, your knowledge, your ability. I don't care what it is, but that I call that skill. More specifically, I call that marketable skill because yes. you know being able to juggle is awesome, but unless you really do want to like get paid for party favors or whatever, that's not going to be you know terribly economical. And yeah. so you need a marketable skill, a skill that is in demand that people will pay for. That's the base of the pyramid. There's nothing else that can even be a challenge for you until you take care of that. That is your first freaking problem. Yeah. And then you keep rising up that pyramid until you get to like this level of mastery. And in this, in, in business, I would call that level of mastery leverage. I think that's the top of the pyramid is leverage. So it, it can be scaling, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, that's that's what we were talking about before, where you're making money with zero effort because of everything you built before, right? That's the yeah. max, that's the ultimate uh, goal of leverage. And so that's the top. So everything in between is a matter of degree or scale or who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I kind of came against is I focus a lot on the issues that solopreneurs face when it comes to building their businesses. And that includes a lot of things like operations and perfecting skill sets and client communications. And what I'm running into is there a lot of folks, are, they're just not there yet. You know, there's like, there's for, for every one person I find who's there, there are 10 people I can help who are farther down the pyramid. Yeah. And that's, what's kind of come back full circle to me a little bit is like, Hey dummy, you're a brand strategist. Like you're literally regarded as one of the best brand strategists in a couple of freaking industries that you've served. Like yeah. where is all of that knowledge? I, if I did a Twitter search for the word brand out of 11,300 times or whatever I've tweeted, literally, I'd probably find it 30 times, right? Yeah. And now that, the, you know, the thing about brand, you can be talking about brand without using that word. I get it. But yeah. at the same time, I haven't really gone off the deep end of teaching that thing. And if you told me to go teach a college course right now, it would probably be that, you know, yeah. like <laughs> that's where I can really help people because everybody can understand that if you're t- if you're typing up a tweet right now, you're putting in the effort to type the words. Why not make sure that it's on brand for you? 
Yeah. If you're going to record a video, why not make sure it's on brand for you? If you're yeah. going to launch a new product or learn a new skill, why not make sure that that's on brand for you? Do you even know what that means? Most people have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so it's critical that they understand what that actually does for them. And when I look at that pyramid, you've got the skill set at the bottom. If you go to Twitter, most people after that would say sales. That's where they want to go. They want to go to sales, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a ton of people with past sales experience. And quite frankly, if you can hustle, yep. you can sell. Yep. So if you're getting after it, God bless them, go, right? But I will tell you from two decades of experience in tons of different markets, if you have a sales strategy that's built on a brand strategy, you're going to sell a lot more, (laughs) a lot more. And so there's really the base of the pyramid is the skill. The second is understanding your brand and what you're trying to do with the brand. And then the third is sales. The fourth is marketing, then operations, then leverage. And so you work your way up that pyramid. Well, I found that I was getting too high up on that pyramid for the the type of people I want to have. Right. Yeah. I have high ticket, high level people and I'm happy helping them. Yeah. It's difficult to scale that. Right. Again, I want to introduce leverage. So I'm working my way back down that a little bit to talk about, hey, what does it mean to make sure your sales are on brand or your market is on brand or your message is on brand? What does it mean to even pick the skill set or the combination of skill sets to position yourself appropriately so that your brand outcompetes everyone else? Because I don't know if anybody's noticed, but basically everyone looks and sounds the same. And so and your favorite people don't. And, yeah. and and this is where I have to make sure people understand this because they'll hear the word brand and it's like I'm back in 2003 again where I had to explain to corporate owners that a brand is not a logo. Yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, 2023, you don't have to say that anymore. But people have a hard time understanding that like, well, what about as a solopreneur? Like a brand, that's freaking expensive and it requires strategists and designers and, you know, like how the heck am I supposed to compete with that? And I'm, you know, it's easy for me to look back and say, nope, that's not how it works at all. Like yeah. you can, you can think of it as closer to your reputation and what are those things that you can do to influence the reputation that you have through your actions, not just words, not garbage. You're not making things up. And in yeah. fact, truth is the cornerstone. I talk about this all the time. And so I, I'm, I'm really going to emphasize how to help people fundamentally uncover the truths that help them stand apart from everyone else so that they can actually get to the customers who are waiting for them. Interesting. I like that. Cause all progress starts with the truth. Absolutely, man. It's, it's, totally. It is the first step on any journey. So I, I really agree with that, resonate with that. And it's interesting when when you break it down to that sort of pyramid, Maslow's hierarchy of needs always pops in my like mind. Any, anytime yep. anybody mentions the pyramid to me. Because you, you, you're right. It, it, when you're doing Twitter or LinkedIn or any platform, right, with storytelling, you have key pillars that you need to talk about consistently. And if you don't talk about those key pillars consistently, people don't know who you are. Are you just an information person? And there's a lot of people out there, in my opinion, a lot of really big creators out there of hundreds of thousands of followers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what are you? Like, you're really (laughs) good at giving out information, but it's a generalist. And I know this is sort of been a recent pushback where people are like, oh, being a generalist is really important. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to hire a generalist. Sure, I want to hire sure. a specialist in, 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 in something. So I, I, I'm always very confused or not. I wouldn't want to say I'm very confused. I'm always intrigued by other people's uh, choices when it comes to growing a brand, which is your mm-hmm. own. Because your, your, everybody talks about uh, having your yourself as a brand, yeah. you know, self-brand. You're going to end up with it whether you like it or yeah, not. Or not. Yeah, exactly. And I'm always... One, I'm always looking at other people. I'm like, you got two, three, four hundred thousand followers, but you talk about everything. What? 
I think there's a, I think there's an arc. I think that's, you know, once you get to a certain scale, you can do what you want. You, you, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I, I mean, really, that's really, I think that's, yeah, true. I think that's probably it. Yeah. It's, it's just, you get the full force of the locomotive moving at, you know, 200 miles an hour that it's just, nothing's going to stop it. And there's almost an argument for generalizing as you grow mm -hmm. past a certain point. You know what I mean? Like there's just something about that. Now, a lot goes into that. I don't think that's steadfast because again, distribution of, you know, algorithm, all that stuff plays into this yeah. a little bit. But but frankly, if I if I follow that along in business and how brands grow, that's the normal trajectory. That's how it works. They 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 actually expand out to more generalistic sort of uh ideas and principles as they go. A lot of them end up doing that. So and so like it's a, a natural so tendency. So it's like sophistication levels in and in, in marketing and sort of similar um, or different where you, you you can go be more wide provide a mechanism but when you're lower down you've got to be a bit more on point and actually show people how you do things and what you do a lot to but be then, said for that but when you get to the top people it's like it's nike well, they do sportswear exactly you know, there's a lot to be said for that yeah, yeah. And, it, and i'm not putting a value judgment on that i'm not saying it's right or wrong but like that is what happens and and i think that that's something that um messes with people because they'll see those big accounts and think well why can't i tweet I the yeah. same thing you know and it's like listen the context is completely different like you guys are yeah you're not you're not reading the full equation you want it to be a plus b equals c and that is not how this equation works <laughs> you know you're skipping seven variables between then you know there so um so yeah that's an interesting discussion because um that we don't have to get into the details of but <laughs> it's, it's really 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 important that when you're going out and learning from other people that you understand exactly where they are and that the context is correct right that's that's really the lesson 100 percent, and i think that's where a lot of people get the sort of the self-branding or, or or online brands wrong is that they look at the the, the 300 400 500 yeah. follower people and i think oh well this person's doing this type of thread and doing that right. type of thread or this type of post right. so i'm just going to copy that right which is and the worst possible thing they can worst do. possible thing because what you really should be doing is looking at somebody who's at 10 or 20,000 followers who's actually making decent money doing the skill set that you're doing mm -hmm. and follow their process so you can actually get that kind of income coming in. Sure. And then yeah, whether you want to looking yeah, whether you want to scale wanna a brand or not, you can decide. Yeah, 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 exactly, man. You don't you don't want to look four steps up that pyramid. You're not there yet. And that's it's like the kid who hasn't I've heard this. Literally, I've heard this where people come to me advice and they they don't know their skill. They don't even know their skill set that they want to offer to make money yet and or provide values the way I'd rather put it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, how about X? I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel like that could scale. What what are you why are you talking about scale? That's the top of the pyramid. What are we talking about? You do yeah. you know how far you have to go before that's a problem? And everything can scale. I don't want to hear it. So like how about we take the first step that starts building a little momentum yeah. and stop thinking down the line. And it's hard. I mean, it, it it's hard because you get all these gurus slamming down their throat every single day times a hundred saying I, in the world of business back in the day before social media, this is before Twitter. And I was in the business world listening to these other, I called them the real business bros back then. Yeah. <laughs> so who would yell at you about what a real business was or wasn't. And they they just they they'll never um trying to think of the best way to say this um it's going to come across as disparaging so <laughs> i better i better dial it back a little bit um but the, the the point is 
you know, you really have to understand like what your next immediate need is and to understand like what next step do I have to take so I can get good at that and then build on that and build the momentum. I mean, that's yeah. really at the end of the day, that's what we need to focus on. And I think way too many people get lost in that when they look out at others who have already achieved the entire journey and yes. have lost touch with what it means to be a beginner. And frankly, a lot of times, and, and you got to look at those people and go, well, maybe that's aspirational, but I'm nowhere near being able to get to that level of tactics yet. So I have to focus on the tactics appropriate to my stage. And that's, that's tricky. You know, that's tricky. So I think people have to learn how to leverage coaches who know how to do that. They have to learn how to leverage information and follow the right people. And quite honestly, ignore and shut off the nonstop deluge of information that's only going to make them feel like they're not making enough progress. Yeah. You know, I see that a lot, a lot of discouragement that I'm like, it's just manufactured. I'm like, you're doing great. Like you're super smart. You've got great insight. Like if you keep doing this a couple months down the road, man, you're going to be signing all kinds of people and they're yeah. discouraged because it's, you know, a month in and they're not getting, you know, 50,000 impressions on a tweet or something. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Not how it works. It takes, it takes a, lo a long time to build anything worth worthwhile. Uh, well said yeah <laughs> I, I just about got that out uh but yeah no but, but when i go back to the start of my twitter journey people people often ask me i don't get as many dms now because about a year or two ago i was still kind of in and around some twitter growth communities actually it would be two years ago now when i think about it, it's pretty much when i started my business i moved away from that because i didn't want anything really to do with twitter growth because it just didn't vibe with me yeah but i used to get dms and people were like well how did you grow your uh, twitter and i was like it was my full-time job yeah. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? Said, well, I, I didn't do anything else for six months than pretty much spend five or six hours every day yeah. on Twitter because of the pandemic, because I had the opportunity. I had yeah. the time. Uh, and I, 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 I don't know how I could go back and redo that. And I got my following based on that effort that I put in in 2020 and um, That's where it came from. Yeah. Uh, now, I... Obviously, if I was a super smart copywriter, someone, uh, you know, we know a few people out there on, on the in the world who are really, really good at storytelling, that you can grow an account really quickly with the right type of content. But that's not my skill set. Yeah. It's not my yeah. skill set. My skill set comes from that solopreneur trap that you talked about earlier, persistence. I have a lot of persistence. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I'm a dog chasing a car. Uh... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 sunk cost maybe a little bit, but I would say it's the persistence. It's, 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 it's like I'm here. I'm doing this. I'm gonna stick with it. Right, and right. I think that's a lot of times where when you come into any type of business growth, it's like finding what you're good at, finding that skill set, finding the leverage or the value that you can provide people, and then just sticking with it for a couple of years. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't think people realize. Line. Yeah, I don't think people get that. I, I've come across a few people. I've even coached a couple of people recently in the last two years that wanted to do something on the side. I was helping them with something else, but on the, they wanted to do something on the side with Twitter because they could see what I was doing. And I d didn't enjoy those conversations because they were thinking that it's some sort of like sprinkle magic dust that you're just like, you just have an account. Things just, I'm no, like, no, 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 it, no. It, it, it's, it's, it's real, actual, legitimate strategic work. Yeah. It's, like it's, every, like you're, like you said, man, I, you know, and, the, and again, I go back to these like competing messages because on one hand they'll hear from people like, you know, persistence and discipline pay off, just stick freaking to it. And it's inevitable, right? You'll hear yeah. that. And then you'll hear the small bets community. No, no, no. Persistence doesn't guarantee you anything. That's just, uh, you know, what do they call the, um, winner's bias, right? Yeah. No, that's just, uh, this, this bias of the winners making it, you know, sound like if you stick with it long enough, they will. And so I'm like, well, then what is that? Like, you're supposed to just spend two weeks on something. And if it doesn't catch traction <laughs> by then, we give up and try another. I mean, there's a thousand things I could go through. 
to try. Yeah. What do you want me to do? You know what I mean? And so they, they get like, what, what are you supposed to do as a 22 year old looking for opportunity, being willing to work and trying to provide value? And you're being told on one hand, you got to grind it out for several years before it catches real traction. And the other going, no, if it doesn't work out two weeks, you got to move on. You're just going to waste yeah. time forever and be a slave. Like now what? You know, so it's a tough spot, man. I, I I really have a lot of compassion for people right now in their 20s and technology's changed fast enough to make it worse. And, um, you know, that again, that's kind of why I've moved down that pyramid just a little bit because I want to be able to catch those people. There's so much talent and drive and determination and, and just goodness in that crowd. And I want to be able to help them put their ears, hands over their ears for a minute from the cacophony of nonsense, Noise, yeah. you know, and be like, hey, listen, I actually did it. OK, so I can show you some steps that are going to give you feedback relatively quickly. You're going to start seeing those signals. And then, yes, you are going to have to put in the work, but at least you're going to have those signals. You're going to know, you know, and we just kind of work down that line until they finally start to catch the traction, which will happen. It will happen soon. You shouldn't be three years in and not seeing signals, obviously. So, um yeah, man, it's uh, it's a tough world to be in their spot. Yeah, it's something that I I've moved away from is helping the sort of guys getting started. That's sort of where I, where I got a little bit of traction with my kind. I used to do a, a, a giveaway or a free guide about the seven pillars of personal progress, uh, and then I jumped up and went really high ticket. But I'm mm coming back down now and be like i've got the high ticket thing kind of going i'm not going to say i'm an expert at it i'm not uh but it's i've definitely got signals it's yeah. got results i've got testimonials but i'm coming back down where i'm like uh, maybe i want to help i want to help people actually get started i want to help people with the confusion because there is a lot of bullshit out there there is uh, and yeah. there's a lot of in my opinion there's a lot of uh I'm going to say something, you know, that I probably shouldn't, but there's a lot of people out there that have read like one performance book and then they're all of a sudden they're like Stephen Kotler. They think they're the, 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 the think they're like a high performance guru because right. they've read James Clear, Atomic Habits. I'm like, right. no, you're not. No. Uh, and that, yeah, that, <laughs> man, you're speaking to that whole, you know, there's that idea of building public, right? And on one hand, I love it. I do love it, but you've got to put some nuance around that. Building in public does not mean read a book, share what you learned, and then pretend you're an expert and can teach it, right? And that's that's really, look, it sounds flippant to say it this way, but I'm like, these the people who are like, build in public, build in public, they have to remember what it's like to be a 22, 23-year-old who needs income. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the thing. I'm like, I think that's kind of a, almost a little bit of a disservice there. Like, I definitely believe share what you're learning, build in public. I mean, my strategy when I teach the beginners, like it's 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 a matrix, actually. It's a framework that teaches them what they should be talking about from the very beginning when they're learning a skill all the way through to when they're like full-blown solopreneurs. Like, it's yeah. literally a process of like this. Your content should focus on these. And at the very beginning, it is things like theory. But you, you're completely 100% open to the fact that you're learning it. Yeah. And you should be seeking people who are good at that and saying, how can I help you? How can I become an apprentice for you? How can I get under your wing and learn up through your customers and your real life experience so that I can put some actual meat to the theory that I'm learning? That's how everybody's always done it. And so yeah. when we discount that side, that's a real disservice. And, and that's the thing that I see too often in, in the social media sphere is this idea that if it's not something you can act on in the next 30 seconds, nobody wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I'm pretty like, everybody kind of knows that I do not like cold DMs. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I shit on them publicly all the time. And the reason I do is because they're horribly ineffective and they're garbage in my opinion. Now I will qualify what a cold DM is because again, just like with vocabulary, these people don't know what I'm saying. And so I have gotten a ton of opportunities in my career by striking up conversations and networking with people who were really well known and with really good connections and gave me great opportunities. Okay. I approached them for the first conversation. What I didn't do was come up with a script starting with something like yo and then copying pasting it or blasting it out in basically spam format with something for them to buy the very first time they heard my name. Yeah. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard speaking of your calling card of dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> everything about it and I think it's completely stupid and a disservice to everyone involved. Yeah. And so I want to teach people what networking really looks like and how to actually build strong powerful networks who will literally feed you for life. If you do it right, I care yeah. deeply about that. Here's the problem. How long does it take to build a network like that versus send a bunch of cold DMs, bro? Like yeah. how long, which one's more actionable in the next four hours? Yeah. So that's the problem. And I see this all the time. And this idea that like, well, taking action is superior to everything else. Okay. I could take any action. I could stab my own hand with a freaking knife. I'm taking action. <laughs> so what? Like what action, what outcome do you want? Shouldn't you at least stop and think for two goddamn seconds what actual outcome you want before you act? That's all I'm asking. So yeah, I get a little fired up about that too because you're you're screwing kids when you teach them stuff. You're you're, you're hitting on one of my uh, bugbears or sore points is the optimization crowd out there that we need to optimize your calendar. We need to optimize your days. We need to optimize everything that you do. And I'm like, well, no, you have to go and build foundations first. What are the goals? What are the outcomes? Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be in a, a, in a year? Because what the fuck are you optimizing for? Exactly. If you that's the exactly don't right. know your destination. There's the question. And that, what are you yes. optimizing for? Yes. What are yes, you What are you taking right. action for? But that's hard, Stephen. It's hard to sit down and really understand and think, and then commit to one. Yeah. That might mean you discount some others that could have been good, but you doesn't matter. You have to pick something. You know, these are hard to do. And so yeah. it's, 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 I don't, on one hand, I don't fault them for it. It's like the medium kind of supports that. Yeah. But, you know, after a while, you kind of get tired of these guys going through their programs and then coming to me and going, okay, I, I need substance here. This is insane. After, after you've gone through your like six person who says that, it's kind of like, okay, you know, it, it, it kind of makes me feel a little better that it's like at least there's people surviving it. And then going, hey, I see the nonsense this is. I need to get to work for real, you know. And and again, I don't want to come across as shitty and disparaging. Everybody's got their own thing, and I'm, you know, I, I admire anybody who tries to do something, you know, it, it, versus sitting on the sidelines. But I also just think that at some point you got to take a step back and think about the ethics and the responsibility that you have when it comes to trying to help teach other people what to do. Yeah. And 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 you know, in fairness, I think most of them think that well, most people just aren't acting at all. So you got to tell them act now, you know, and that's their problem. And I understand that. I do. I, I, you know, maybe, maybe social media is not the place for nuance, right? (laughs) It's not, it's not, but yeah, I I, I often say action always wins, but that comes with like a, a whole bunch of, there's a whole symphony. I was going to, I've already said there's a whole orchestra behind me. That's a better word. When I say the word as, as the conductor, action always wins. There's yes. a whole waft of information That's right. behind yeah, that you, in my mind. You always do a great job of providing that context. Like if you go back through your content, it's nothing but context for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. It's, so I, I totally, yeah, no, it's, um, and like I said, it's, it's, 
it's tricky because um we are creatures of influence man yeah you know we're highly susceptible to information yeah and so you can't you can't survive that if you go down a timeline you know and try to read like a thousand bits of advice all in one go um you know that gets a little little nerve-wracking it does it does it does and that brings me to a question. We've got a couple of questions here before we before we wrap All up. All right, let's fire them up. And, and, and this actually one we've kind of maybe kind of already answered this one, but I'm going to ask it to you again, slightly framed slightly differently. What is a contrarian view that you have around self performance or personal development where you push back against the norm? Oh God! <laughs> well, now you got to you got to get me thinking about like other ones or something. Like other ones, yeah, because we push back oh, on DMs. We push back in a few things. Fed this to me. Um, God, I feel like I've got good ones, man. But I'm not. I'm, I mean, honestly. Um, what one? I, I butt heads with some of the sales guys a lot. Okay. In, in what I sense? love good sales guys. Okay, like good sales guys who who focus on relationships and solving problems, mm-hmm. and who believe in the products that they have, and understand human intrinsic values and motivations, and can navigate that in a relatively short period of time, and who are more interested in disqualifying people who are not good fits than they are attracting anybody. I mean, I. These are the hallmarks of excellent sales guys. And I yeah. love all the salespeople that, that I have a number of them in, in my following and I follow them. Um, and so none of them would ever be subject to my criticism about like the sales thing. Yeah. But I do recognize that a lot of people in the social media space came from, again, the hustle sales background. Yeah. And coming from a brand strategy marketing side where I have seen even in my own, I mean, I've, I've kind of, again, I've kind of been very public about this. I have never once formally sold or marketed my services. 20 years, 3.6 million in, I never once formally ran a marketing campaign that I paid for or set up. And I never once paid or acted as like a traditional from scratch salesperson or did sales anything. I built foundational relationships in my network. I pulled through for them. They told their friends and I pulled through for them too. And I built my entire freaking business on that. And so I'm not saying that that's ideal or even possible for everybody. And I'm not going to, I'm not shoving down their throat that they're doing it right or wrong. But what I, but what I will say is it can definitely be done. (laughs) And I know a ton of people who do. And and for, for that matter as well, there is data on this. Like when I go back into brand strategy, the vast majority of products are still communicated word of mouth. And so when one of the things I would do for a lot of companies is, especially if they were newer, is they would come in and they would have ad spend, marketing spend, they would have a budget. Let's say it was a $400,000 budget and then they wanted to put into their marketing and ad spends. And I'm like, okay, fine, that's cool. How do we allocate that? And literally 80 to 90% is dedicated to new customers. 10 to 20 is to throw scraps to the current customers. Yeah. Three separate times for very big companies, I turned that on its head. I said, we are gonna spend 20% on new customer acquisition and 80% on our current customers. Each time, I had blank stares at those boardrooms looking back at me like, what in the hell are you talking about? Yeah. And then I went on to describe what it means to market to your current customers and keep them, leverage them, retain them, sell them into new products, design and build new products for them that solves the next problem up the ladder for them and equip them to spread the word about you. Every one of them did it. Every one of them significantly increased sales. And so it's like, that can be done right now. The sales guys, 
don't like that. <laughs> they don't like hearing me when I say things like that. They're very upset when yeah. I say, basically, I just took your budget and flipped it on its head, right? So I suppose that maybe that's one of my more contrarian things is that sales is overrated. Interesting. I like it. I do like it. I, I, <laughs> I, I said like, it. <laughs> I said it. No, but I like it a lot because it, it does... The, it does actually work because I've seen it in my own working in sales uh, when I worked in high-end luxury um, clothing and then I worked a little bit in car sales. It was those long-term relationships that actually inspired loyalty and trust that made those big sales. So I, the, I can count probably on, probably on many fingers and many hands the amount of times a, a, a guy or a lady would come into the, the store I worked at and they'd buy a pair of socks or a t-shirt and you'd have a good rapport with them. You'd have good fun with them. A month later, they'd come back with their partner or their girlfriend that they'd, they'd, yeah. search you out and they'd be like, Steve, I had a lot of fun with you a couple of weeks ago. I need a whole new outfit yep. for a $5,000 sale. Yep. And that's all because there was that, 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 uh, relationship with building mindset where a lot of people see a hundred dollar t-shirt or a $30 pair of socks underwear or whatever. They're like, Oh, I'm not, that, I'm not going to do that sale. That's going to ruin my, my units per transaction or, or I'm not, I'm just going right. to walk up to the till. But I, I, I always had that different mindset of like that person's buying that, especially a lady, that lady's buying for a man and who oh, dresses yeah. their man, oh, the yeah. ladies do. <laughs> so who am I going to go and be friendly with and talk to and, and try to get to bring the husband in? Is the, is the wife and then the wife comes go. back in i find a guy he's pretty cool he's not a sales guy he's solid husband comes in boom build a relationship you know two three years down the line i'm, I'm making you know a certain percentage of my sales just from that one guy yeah. because he's coming in yeah. and he's telling his friends and it's just it's it, that that that's how it works and that's because i'm dealing with existing customers yeah there you go. Building those relationships. Good sales guy. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's a good. Sale. I I just need to build products for the next stage. That's my problem. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> we've exactly. talked about that off uh, at a different oh, yeah. time. Uh, yeah. We're like a two deep into it. But we've been talking for an hour, uh, and it's been it's been fantastic. But I, I have one last question to wrap up the the fifty third episode of the SPS podcast, and I ask it to all my uh, all my uh, guests when they come on. If you could have everybody in the world wear a printed T shirt for one day. What would that t-shirt say? <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, I love this question. And mine would be a little wordy, but it is it is the <laughs> advice. I get this, I get this quite a bit. Um, I get this. I have a message that I like to share with people, especially if they're creative. Okay. Because if you have feedback from people, like in a professional creative world, you always have critics, you always have the customer telling you what they think, adjust this, adjust that, do this, do that. Um, and it's the advice I give most often. And it's the one that I want most people to hear. And it extends way beyond creativity um, and to any person, even on a personal level. And I believe this wholeheartedly. It is It is this. It is if you believe them when they tell you it's great, you have to believe them when they tell you it sucks. Mm. So my advice is don't believe them at all. And the reason why that advice matters to me is we are often taught, ignore the critics meaning ignore people who tell you that what you did suck and go over and only listen to the people who tell you it's awesome and champion and support you. That's who you need to listen to. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is both of those are examples of you abdicating your own self-worth. You are you are externalizing your validation for your work and your, your efforts into other people. And some say it's great. You're supposed to ignore them. Some say it's good. Those ones, are, that's okay to listen to them. 
And so my point is both of those people live in the same room. It's called criticism. There's one door into that room. If you open it, you are opening yourself to both of those, to being, Interesting. to placing your valid, your, to, to placing your external worth into the validation of other people. Yeah, and I say, leave that door closed. It's no for yourself. It's really good. Cause what sprung to my mind when you were, when you were talking about that was when you're doing research on books or, or looking at our competitors stuff on Amazon, don't ignore the five-star reviews mm-hmm. and ignore the one-star reviews and look for the two and the three and maybe even the four-star reviews where the yeah. people are going to give you a little bit of, of logic of like, there you go. why I this like book that. didn't work, why this product didn't yep. work. Yep. You know, what, what was it What was it that, that, that it was lacking? And then you go, yep. like, well, where can I then use that information to improve my ideas and my yeah. product? I Interesting, because I, I would agree, because the people who are, who are telling me that I'm God's gift are not the people who are buying from me, and the people who are telling me that I'm, I'm trash in the DM, sometimes when I mention helping right. six... I mentioned last week, I helped an eight figure business owner overcome something. I had someone in the DM <laughs> calling me a loser. And I'm Total like, loser, man. I'm That's a, what losers yeah, do. They help high value people. <laughs> I, I, I am. Thank you for calling me out. But yeah, I just delete that. But I <laughs> yeah. tend to delete the other people who are like, you know, the people come out on my tweets. Oh, you, sir, you've got the best tweets. You're the best guy on Twitter. I'm like, I'm not. So I'm, I'm useless. Yeah. It's, I don't take that. It's just maybe, maybe because I'm very humble as like you are. We're so good at it. God, we're good. (laughs) But that's a really interesting thought. It's a really good way to wrap up this conversation. To to never think that you're that good, but never think that you're that bad. The the truth is always somewhere in the middle. That's right. And Uh, and to know that, truly know that for yourself. Meaning you put in the work, the effort, the time to know when you did something awesome or when it needed work. You know. You didn't wait for someone else to tell you. That's the key to that whole thing. Yeah, and that requires a level of self awareness and paying attention, and and frankly, um, self confidence that I want everyone to have because otherwise, it's uh, you just it doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent love it. There's definitely been some threads and posts I've put out on Twitter where I know as soon as I've hit publish, that's not my best work. <laughs> That's not that's that's not me. I don't need people to tell me it's garbage. I already know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, <laughs> that's awesome. Fantastic. Tori, pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you, man. It's it, we all I always get some fascinating nuggets from you as as we talk. Uh so I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Uh, but before way. before we drop off uh this podcast, tell tell the listeners where can they find you? Uh where can they go if they want to find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, best place is, uh, you know, everything's around Tori Dolly. So Tori, like the like the pine trees in California, Tori, Tori Dolly, D-O-W-L-E-Y. Um, and uh, at Tori Dolly on all the socials and ToriDolly.com. That's probably the best way to do it. Sand, sandpaperstudio.com is my company's site. If somebody wants to see a, uh, a website that hasn't been updated in four years and has about <laughs> 100 missing projects that need to be posted, but there's some stuff there. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Absolute pleasure. And yeah, go check out Tori. Check out what he's all about. He's one of my favorite followers on Twitter. Uh, he's there. He's always dropping good information. I, I, I may even rewrite the odd tweet of his. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. For, for my own. For, for my own. For, for my own twist. With my own twist. But, you know, still like an artist. But Tori, yeah. absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Uh, and we'll speak soon. Like Appreciate you. Cheers. All right.
Check you later. Bye. That was the 53rd episode of the SPS podcast. Thank you for listening all the way through to this part. I will put all of Tori's details in the show notes below. Please go and give him a follow on Twitter or LinkedIn. Also, you can slide on over to stephentimoney.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-I-M-O-N-E-Y.com. And check out all my other episodes of the SPS pod, my newsletter, and of course, the Pro Accelerator coaching program. But most of all, If you're enjoying the podcast and you want me to talk about something or you just want to have a conversation with me, hit me up on Twitter at Steve Timoney, at S-T-E-V-E-T-I-M-O-N-E-Y. Slide into my Twitter DMs and let me know what you think of the SPS. Always happy to get those DMs. Well, thanks very much again, and we will speak to you in the next one. Make it a good one. Bye.